As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. No, I'm too provocative. Too. Like, it's too much. <laughs> too, too much. <laughs> I, I like get outcasted. This is Podvocative. And action. Welcome to week four. <laughs> Where are you? <laughs> I thought you were going to say more than just welcome to week four. Yeah. Okay, start over. <laughs> okay. And action. Welcome to week four of Podvocative. How do you feel to be here? I feel excited. This is a very interesting episode. I think we've started some important conversations. Yeah. Before we dive into our very special guest for today, I thought it would be fun if we answered a rapid fire question because we ask all of our guests rapid fire every episode, but Sheetal and I have never answered them ourselves. So I'm going to pose a rapid fire question to you, Sheetal. <laughs> and I already know your answer to this and it's shocking to me because I thought everybody would answer the same way. Window or aisle? <laughs> Um, okay, so I used to be a loyal window gal, but now I'm an aisle person because I love to drink water and I need to get up at least two times, which is so cringy if I'm sitting in the window and I'm like, hey, sleeping person, can you please let me out? So now I just like my flexibility and I will peek from my aisle into the window when there's a good view outside. But yeah, yeah. I was shocked i thought everybody liked window seats but i love window seats because i truly never get up on planes i never go to the bathroom like i'm the person that if i'm not sitting in the window and someone that's sitting inside needs to get up and makes me get up and it's like a one or two hour flight i'm the person that like gives them the glare and obviously that's me because they can't control it so that's why i always do window because i never get up and i never want anyone to make me get up And I also like resting my head on it when I when I want to oh, sleep. Oh yeah, you want to sleep? Yeah, I do the table, so then I don't need the. That's true. I do the table too. I like will go down at the table, but you know what? And not that I really cared about this pre-corona, but people were always like, "Oh, that's so gross. You don't know what's on that table," which I like. I never cared, honestly. Yeah, I mean, you can say that about a lot of things. I don't know. You can say that anything. Yeah, money is grossest thing. We that's true. From, we pass it from person to person, and it just has everyone's germs. Gross. That's true. I had never thought about money. Maybe I would care about that more if I literally ever carried cash. <laughs> <laughs> I never, I never have cash. The only time I ever have physical forms of money is when I need to do laundry and I need quarters. Yeah. Or JK back when that was open. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, no, I'm a window girl for life. And I think part of it is just because I hate public restrooms so much. And I don't know if I like, I don't know what came first. Like, I don't know if my hatred of public restrooms came first and then I got a bladder of steel or I don't know if I got a bladder of steel. And so I never had to use public restrooms. And so then I hated them, you know? I'm so envious of this trait of yours because I try to be fearful of public restrooms, but I just have the tiniest bladder. Yeah, I think we've probably talked enough about going to the bathroom. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So our guests this week, Michelle and Zarek, we're so excited to have them. So fun fact, when we thought up this idea of the podcast, we were thinking who our potential guests could be. And Michelle and Zarek were the first people that we asked and that we invited on because they're both such great conversationalists. They have so much insight and knowledge to share. And that showed to be true in this episode because we really had such a fun, interesting conversation with them. Yeah, totally. So we do not record, edit, mix, market, and release episodes all every week. So we have a bunch of episodes recorded right now that are sitting in our little episode bank. So this this episode was actually recorded weeks and maybe months ago now. Yeah, um, this episode was recorded about, I would say, approximately two months ago. And while Black Lives Matter was still a very active movement, this conversation had happened pre-George Floyd and pre this new movement and revolution that we've all seen come about. So we we didn't want to release this episode so close to when everything was happening because often when we talk about colorism in the South Asian community, we sometimes can center it around our prejudices and our um, experiences with racism. And this isn't about us and this isn't about putting us in the center and this in no way shape or form is meant to trivialize that movement at all we just thought that this conversation was also an important one but we're not directly speaking of black lives matter here yeah we will never know what it is like to be black in america we are by no means comparing facing colorism in our own south asian and our own ismaili communities to what it's like being black in america those are not the same types of racism we just didn't release this before because um, we just didn't want to take away from any attention from the movement and just to add to that i really like that this is falling right now because all of us have had a few weeks to really understand the issues that exist in America but we also in this episode talk about how our community especially and especially the South Asian community at large does culturally appropriate black culture so that's why I love that this is falling right now this is a good way to get a baseline understanding yeah the only thing I'll add is that colorism feeds anti-blackness so you'll hear a lot of these themes in the episode but they're not the center of the conversation and um, we don't want to at all claim that this is a podcast about racism or Black Lives Matter or anti-blackness. That kind of deserves and warrants a whole separate episode, a whole separate topic. We are not mushing that in here. And I just want to add another thing before we jump into the episode. The reason why we picked Zarek and Michelle specifically for this episode is because firstly, they both don't shy away from talking about the real, raw, honest truth and bringing that to light. So we thought they really 
really embodied what we are trying to do here. But beyond that, Zarek is very well-traveled and has a lot of experience doing youth programs. So he's met a lot of Ismailis from different countries. And we thought that would be a really interesting perspective that he could bring to the table here. And Michelle, while she is very well-spoken, she also brings a perspective of being a med student and she understands and has seen firsthand the discrepancy in healthcare access that certain minorities face versus others. And so she brings that to the table. But neither Zarek nor Michelle are experts and neither Farheen or I are experts on this. We just think this is a really important topic and an issue to bring up. And this was just the starting point of the conversation. And there's so much more to be said here on this topic. Yeah, we'll see you on the flip side. Hello, thank you both for joining us today. We're so excited to speak to you. I'm excited to be on here. It's been so long since we've been able to have some deep conversations. So yeah, seriously. Yeah, so for, same. <laughs> um, for our listeners, can you guys both introduce yourselves, say who you are, what you do, and what your favorite brand of cereal is? Um, so I'm Michelle. I um, am a student currently. I'm in my third year of medical school. And my favorite brand of cereal, I love Oreos, like Oreos, the cereal. That's okay, but even uh, after Oreo they took owns. out the marshmallows... Okay, they were they were amazing. That was criminal. That yeah, was criminal. yeah, dude. I don't know why they did that, but even without the marshmallow, it still bangs. Just not as much. <laughs> I think the FDA was just like, this is literally just candy. <laughs> like, <laughs> hey, my name is Zarek or Zarek. Um, it just depends, like how you've like heard about me or if you haven't, but whatever. Um, so it's a very complicated identity issue. Like, no, no, I have the same issue, dude. I have the same issue. Basically, it's Zarek, but like I just usually introduce myself as Zarek. But yeah. Anyways, I'm originally from Dallas. Uh, I currently am working on startups and like youth development and stuff like that regarding like Seba and Jamat Khanna, and and then my uh, favorite cereal. I guess I have to go with Honey Bunch Oats just because I've been eating that a lot and it's so good. (laughs) Honey Bunches of Oats is a very grandpa cereal, (laughs) but I'm really looking forward to sitting down with both of you today and talking about um, a lot of the issues that we face in the Ismaili community regarding cultural appropriation and being primarily a South Asian community, a lot of whom have immigrated here from different parts of the world. We can often sometimes face identity issues that we don't always know how to deal with then we don't know how to assimilate within this western world and so that looks differently obviously for everyone but a theme that's pretty common throughout is foreign cultures whether that be from black people or white people do you think that ismailis especially young ismailis now more than other communities have a culture of creating identities for themselves by borrowing from other races or other cultures yeah, I uh, I think that's also very natural whenever, you know, you're a first generation or second generation person in a country, like you're going to have that phase of like assimilation where you take different parts of cultures, like how do we combine our like South Asian roots and like balance that with uh, living like in America and the sort of cultural norms uh, and social norms that come with that? Yeah, I think 
being an immigrant and trying to figure out who you are and form your own identity pushes a lot of Ismailis, especially young Ismailis, on to the border of what you were calling like borrowing from other races and other cultures. Yeah. To the point where I think it's almost like cultural appropriation and we don't necessarily realize it. It's often, you know, that we see young like South Asian kids speaking in like what's called like a black black accent or kind exactly. of like it's easy for like non-black people of color to say the n-word when that's really like not their place not their culture and the issue especially is when we participate in like not only like cultural appropriation but also in the same breath anti-blackness and I think young Smileys need to be very conscious of that of too often like we have very internal anti-blackness that runs amongst non-black people of color and at the same time they still borrow from black cultures and I think that's something that we need to be very conscious of 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 participating in cultural appreciation as opposed to cultural appropriation and attacking anti-black sentiments within ourselves and in our black communities and I think young Ismailis who are trying to find their own identities sometimes do kind of cross the line into cultural appropriation and don't necessarily do a great job at identifying anti-blackness in their own families in their own friend groups um, in their own communities and internalize anti-blackness as well i think you brought up a great point of appreciation versus appropriation can you touch on an example of where that can be a thin line and where one is okay and one is not yeah yeah absolutely i think so cultural appropriation is basically taking someone else's culture and making it your own or claiming it as if you kind of like found it you know example is growing up like eating indian food was called smelly by all the white kids like we might have been embarrassed to kind of like wear our own dress when we were younger um like show off desi clothes to our friends but now it's you see kendall jenner wearing a kurta and all of a sudden she's on every single magazine cover on every single website and she's being labeled as fashion forward and like authentic so it's kind of that idea where we take someone else's culture and we kind of take very unique historical important parts of other people's culture and we make it our own whether it's for making a fashion statement or like trying to use it as a way to advance ourselves in how people see us as unique so I think that's an example of appropriation so cultural appreciation has to kind of do with more taking a backseat if you listen to rap or hip-hop like supporting black artists without necessarily kind of engaging in you know saying things like the n-word because that's not our place as non-black color that's not our place to do that to not like take their culture and make it our own but definitely know those boundaries of you know I support you all I like support your music I support what you guys are doing with your own culture and also being a good ally for other communities where you do appreciate their culture definitely advocating for those communities as well and never taking leadership positions away from those communities but taking a part in being a good ally so taking part in like Black Lives Matter movement playing a supporting role in those movements is especially when you're taking part in cultural appreciation. I think that's very important. I want to give some background here. So when I was growing up, I anytime there's like an occasion in Kana and I'd put on Mindy, which is henna, my classmates were like, what is that? Is that marker? Did you draw on yourself? Like whatever, right? And I was, I remember feeling super embarrassed. You know, the world that we live in, nothing is really legitimized until a white person does it, at least in this country. And so if back then, you know, Selena Gomez had been wearing henna at that time and all of my classmates had seen it, they would have known that 
that when I came to school that day with henna on, that's what it was. And they probably would have had a very different reaction. So like part of me is like, okay, this is cultural appropriation. And like, they're taking this one little part of our culture. And that's kind of uncool. But at the same time, I'm like, if this had happened, if white people had started appropriating brown culture when I was younger, I know my experiences would have been different. And I probably would have felt more accepted. So at the same time, I kind of see this positive to cultural appropriation in that if these celebrities start doing it, and these like white people get exposed to something that they otherwise wouldn't have, they, that might make them more accepting of when an actual brown person does it. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I think like the inherent issue is what you said that something's not validated until a white person does it. And I think yeah. that's, like the biggest issue that we need to kind of fix at the root. Like it shouldn't be like Selena Gomez like coming in with Henna or Mandy and people now validating it. It should be we should be, have like enough good Daisy representation where it's a Daisy person who wears it and white people still see it as valid or see it as unique. See the true context of it in someone else's culture as opposed to what they see as like fashion. Because I think it dilutes the culture too a lot. And I think I think Beyonce did a good job at this. I think she went to Japan and participated in the culture. She wore a kimono but she wore it in a very respectful way that allowed like the Japanese folks there to kind of lead the uh, practices and lead the tradition. Yeah. And if you're taking a part in someone else's culture, I, you should be doing it as a guest, not as the owner of that culture. And I think that's the issue. When white people do it, they do it as if they own that culture, as if it's their own. I, I think Michelle just hit it like right on target. My sister, she's like very good at like dealing with that sort of stuff. Growing up, I was so insecure about like my like South Asian roots, like Bollywood movies and like tried to, you know, distance myself from all of that stuff. Whereas like she was like so good at like dealing with it to the point where like, you know, like, yeah, like, she did the basic stuff, like start like a South Asian club and all of that stuff. But like she even wore like, and I thought this was hilarious. She wore a white sari to her graduation. I like, love that. That's awesome. She straight up like like on stage. <laughs> and it was such a like cubby cushy cubby gums like moment. <laughs> like, I'm just sitting there. And, like, That's awesome. Like, so, did she yeah. was she always like that? Or did that start as she like got older and started to appreciate things more? Yeah, that's a good question. I think I think it's she's always been like very like headstrong and very like comfortable in her in like who she is, uh, especially when it comes to her being a South Asian American. She also has a very strong affinity to like South Asian culture. She like loves everything about it, the food, movies especially. She, that's like something she's really passionate about. And so like it was something she was so passionate about and she just wanted everybody to I guess also see that passion, even though she went to a school where there's very few like South Asians. I remember when I was younger, like maybe like seven or eight. And one time my mom came to like a parent teacher conference in like Salwar Kurta. And like, I was mortified. I was like, yeah. I'm so embarrassed. Like everyone's going to make fun of me. But like, now, yeah, I would want like, I want my mom to walk around Nasari and like show off her culture and my culture. And yeah, yeah. I mean, for me, it's definitely been like an evolution, but that's so awesome to hear that going off of that how can we as a community that are full of immigrants or we're minorities ourselves how can we be better about checking ourselves and our own implicit biases not being complicit in it calling it out in a respectful manner and to do it in kind of like a way that's not like demeaning making it more educative as opposed to like condescending i think is super important I think it, that's probably like the best first steps 
to, to address these implicit biases because if we can't keep letting them slide, it's just going to keep like, going on and on. And if you do talk to your parents about it I, in like a respectful way, I, they could be like receptive to it. And I don't know, you might radicalize your parents and it'll all turn out great. <laughs> like as a minority, you think you're the, you're sort of the target for a lot of the biases by like the majority, you know, in this case, the majority in America and whatnot. But then we also have to be aware that even though we are a minority, uh, we can also have our own biases. Like we just need to make sure that we are like checking that. Yeah, you brought up a really good point. Like just because we're, we are also a minority doesn't mean we can't participate in racism ourselves yeah. or we can't work to oppress other groups of people. And I think that's something that's super important to recognize. Like we can participate in uh, misogyny and sexism, like in transphobia and anti-blackness. So it's really important to address all of those things. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. And to know that even though we're, we are minorities, that doesn't immune us from being oppressive and participating yeah. in white supremacist structures. And I think my ability to like educate someone is like limited. And sometimes it's just not my place to do that. So to like yeah, sit there I, and like educate, that. like, for example, one of my attendings with extremely like, huge implicit biases and racism like, against us, our patients. Some, some of these people are very highly educated, but still like harbor some like, yeah, extreme yeah, yeah. like racist views. I think most people probably, even if they aren't that like extreme on the spectrum, yeah, like are definitely like I think most people are racist and most of these racist views are very implicit and come out in like dangerous yeah. situations. But completely. Mm-hmm. And I think I think something that's interesting is kind of our community's obsession with Eurocentricism and being as white as possible or as assimilated as possible in Western culture. You know, do you think that our obsession as a smiley community with being lighter or like lighter skin or whiter or more American or whatever, do you think that's a unique one? Or do you think it's on par with what immigrants face? I think it's very interesting you brought that up. I think we also have to sort of compartmentalize it into like us having more of an American Ismaili perspective. Like in Canada, it's like much easier for the Ismaili Jamaat to like keep their Ismaili identity being from like East Africa or like South Asia. Because like the society there is a lot more accepting of like that sort of thing. And like the community is bigger and they have like a lot more influence. 
And then also, like, even if you look at Europe, there's been, like, multiple generations now at this point, like, in, in the UK with, like, Ismailis there. And seeing how they have sort of progressed and transformed since they first immigrated there, you know, back in, like, 20th century, compared to, like, where we are as an American Jamaat. We're, like, a little bit younger in terms, like, generationally as a Jamaat than, like, some of those other places. And seeing, looking towards them to see where, like, we could potentially go to. Michelle, what do you think? I think you brought up, like, a like some really really good points and I think um, it's also important to remember that I think colorism definitely is not unique to the Ismaili community or to the South Asian community I think it penetrates through every minority community I think there's this a lot of like internalized colorism where we equate proximity to whiteness with value the more light-skinned you are the more worthy you are of love of success of money and we buy someone's value to the color of their skin and I think that's a penetrating theme through not only the South Asian community but other minority communities as well and proximity to like Eurocentric or having Eurocentric features I think gives you a certain amount of privilege where you're seen as being superior to those who lack Eurocentric features and I think like that's super unfortunate because like it brings up these issues where we'll see a multi-dimensional intelligent compassionate woman and we immediately reduce her down to her physical appearance and I I think too often colorism and this focus on Eurocentric features does that where we place someone's value on their physical appearance and it's almost like I feel like objectifying and dehumanizing in a way to do that and and it's so common in so many communities and it's such an issue that we need to address and we need to kind of like really attack because we see it so often. In, in especially South Asian communities, we see the the fair and lovely commercials in every single like Bollywood movie, in these Bollywood like shows. They bring in like light skinned, almost white women and men, and we are constantly fed this image that like white is beautiful and dark is ugly. I actually, like I actually saw a picture of an Indian kids Indian book where it brought pictures of like a rock is hard and cotton is soft and then it showed a picture of like a light-skinned little girl and it said beautiful and then a dark-skinned little girl mm-hmm. it said ugly it's ridiculous like it's horrible and it's terrifying and we've been fed colorism and anti-blackness since like before we could even speak and we've been reduced down to our physical appearances for our whole lives and it really it really makes us feel like our value is in our physical appearance and that we should strive to be beautiful and that we should strive to be desirable and we should strive for marriage as opposed to, you know, all the other amazing things and qualities that we have are just kind of like ignored. Um, and I think colorism and is rooted in anti-blackness and colorism is very harmful and anti-blackness is very harmful to all of us. And it definitely affects people differently depending on their skin color and it gives people like different privileges and it creates a hierarchy and it creates like a sense of superiority for people who are lighter skinned you know and it's super harmful and it's something we need to address and it's something that we need to make sure that you know little girls and boys don't grow up thinking that they're ugly because they're darker skinned and that they are worthy of less because they have darker skin and that they're not worthy of love they're not worthy of success that they're not intelligent because of the color of their skin and it's harmful 
harmful on so many different ways, not just like physical appearance. And I think we need to address all of these issues because it's not just, oh, you're ugly or you're pretty. Yeah, no, I mean, totally. Like I know growing up with like, especially the babies, like people are always like, oh, the baby's so gore whatever. Like people are really excited when your baby or your small child is light skin. And I think that's something that people like hope for when they're having kids. And I think it does give people kind of a superiority complex, especially in this community. Yeah, I've never thought of it as unspoken privilege, which I think that's like Mm -hmm. such a great point. And I feel like it's not talked about enough. Um, and so how do we like address that and, and start talking about that and change that for at least the next generation? Yeah, uh-huh. you know, okay, this is like an interesting thing, though, like in Europe, particularly like countries like Portugal, the Jamaat is very progressive. And that's also tied to like, how progressive the society there is. And so one thing I've noticed, like meeting a lot of people from like Portugal, for instance, they're very comfortable with like being darker. And they actually like think of it as kind of like a a good thing. Like they like to go out and get tanner. People in Europe like very like open, like especially like women and like they don't care as much about like having to like wax, you know, like body hair or whatever. And so I think it's also like driven by like the society we live in too. Younger parents naming their kids like, you know, more white names and stuff like that. It's sort of just like, yeah, we need to like address it and we need to find ways to like have that change and make that progressive push because it's like an advancement for our community and for society at large to get away from this like concept and notion of like colorism but it's also like we're sort of stuck right because this is what society expects this is the society we live in like like when you have a non-white name it's like better to change your resume your name on your resume a lot of times too right like and it's just sort of like the society we live in and you like brought up a really good point where we need to kind of work on like decolonialization of our society and that'll help us with our like issues with colorism and implicit biases we don't really live in a post-colonial society um and once we move past that and like america is so backward sometimes like we just with outright racism and prejudice we really haven't progressed that far the civil rights movement was just in the 60s segregation just ended like in the 60s that wasn't a long time ago and we're we're not living in a society that has progressed past racism past colonialism and i still i think you're right like those themes still penetrate very deeply in the society we live in and therefore like affect us and our community and how we see ourselves and how we structure our identities to fit into this society that's filled with racism and we're still so like impacted by like colonial themes it hadn't really struck me how recent the civil rights movement was until i was sitting on a plane last year and i was wearing a duke hat so somebody else who went to duke came up to me and started talking to me and he said when he went there it was still segregated and i was like are you serious like this person that i'm talking to literally went to my college and it was an all-white college when he was there and you want to act like racism is an issue of the past like no 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 and the worst thing worst thing i've been seeing recently is like random tiktoks of traditionally non-oppressed groups just act victimizing themselves to oppression yeah i feel like it's more it's more just sort of like that sort of self-awareness that's lacking and it's sort of like that concept of you know when you're feeling like a toothache there could be like people dying halfway across the world but in that moment your toothache is like the worst thing ever 
you know and Mm -hmm. that's a little bit of an exaggerated like example but that's sort of like how people just are I think also there are certain groups of people certain groups of white people who see like minority rights as their own oppression I don't know if that makes sense like yeah yeah absolutely and I think that's where like the whole all lives matter kind of right is it's like yes all like all lives matter but you don't have to bring it up when we're specifically talking about black lives and all lives don't matter until black lives matter so conservatives are actually very good at marketing and coming up with terms like that that just completely undermine the movement like they do that with like gun control they do that with like abortion like when you think of the word pro-life and you don't know anything about that you immediately think like oh yeah i'm i'm for life you know like like, (laughs) i'm not anti-life and they're just so devious and like good at like coming up with these marketing terms yeah Yeah. that's really annoying that's true that's such a good point that's a good idea it's like gaslighting almost i feel like yeah yeah so gaslighting Michelle, do you want to give a quick definition of gaslighting? Because I feel like I only just learned like a month ago what that means. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, one of my friends taught me that phrase and I hope, hopefully I'm like using it correctly, but I I think it's like based off of this movie where this husband and wife, like were living together and he would flick the lights on and off. And then she would be like, oh my God, did did you see that? And he'd be like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. So I think the movie was called Gaslight. It turns like a psychology term where like in any sort of like social instance relationship, when uh, one person or party like will say something and then later on reject that that ever happened to the point where it makes the person feeling like as if they're making things up in their head and they're like disillusioned even though that's not the case it drives you insane it makes you question the things that you know to be real and you know to be true it's like a very specific like psychological manipulation tactic that people use it's it's nice like know that's a thing that it exists so that hopefully like when it happens to you it's like okay I'm being you know gaslighted I'm not crazy yeah no completely and I think that happens a lot in minority communities to go back to what we were talking about like I had conversations with people where I talk about things that were microaggressions or things that made me feel lesser than and the response has sometimes been like, you know, I've heard that too. And that's not what they meant toward me. So it's not what they meant toward you. Like, and you are, you are kind of made to believe like, okay, so am I reading it wrong? That is a very specific form of manipulation. Especially gaslighting is done a lot to like women of color too, but especially in cases of like sexual assault and I don't know, really like gross circumstances. It's, ugh, it's horrible, horrible. Yeah. I mean, we see these like men in power oh. gaslighting anyone that comes out against them all Mm -hmm. the time absolutely and like even the problems Mm -hmm. that men have are caused by like patriarchy a lot of those issues like even patriarchy negatively affects men and women even though they are definitely benefiting way way more than women from patriarchy wait this is a good point like question do you think there's any like countries where like societally it's like more of a matriarchy in the world right now actually i so i like was in this session where someone from like the native one of like the Native American tribes came in and was talking to us about how tribes were structured back in the day before like the white people came in and basically tried to completely erase Native people and their identities. So apparently like a lot of Native tribes were very like matriarchal, but he was like talking about how in these tribes back in the day, they were very matriarchal in that like women like basically ran the society or ran the tribe and they would live in these large houses. And if the man messed up, like the man was out. Also like the chief of the tribe was elected and nominated by the woman of the tribe. 
like make things equal. They would elect a chief. So he was a representative of kind of like the men in that tribe. And But he answered to all of the women. But I also thought it was so cool how like even in a matriarchal society, women work to make things equitable. Like to, so yeah, I thought that, at that point sense. it wasn't about oppression. It was about, hey, how can we all function together well? Yeah. Versus like when yeah. men are in charge, it's about keeping women out. Yeah. 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 We're still, like, all off script, right? Like, we're just, like, talking for fun. I feel like now, at this point, like, everything we talk about, like, I just want to, like, keep talking about this stuff so I can't, like, tell, like, we're, like, Good! That's the point. We're gonna probably have to make you stop talking only because I'm very hungry, so... I'm yeah, gonna I'm go but uh, yes, no yes. thank you guys again for doing this I think this was a really good conversation I'm excited for this episode for sure we touched on very important relevant issues in our community specifically so I know I learned yeah. a ton or whenever I yeah. talked about okay. the rapid fire round really quick if you had to go back 400 years in time how would you convince them that you're from the future show them my iPhone yeah <laughs> what is the weirdest thing that you do in the morning I don't get out of bed until an hour later I watch TikTok videos. What's something you should do, but you probably won't get around to? Working out. Same. <laughs> Next question, I don't know. <laughs> what is your go-to order at your favorite <laughs> restaurant? Taco Bell, that combo. Yeah, I was Taco Bell, chicken quesadilla, beefy nacho griller. What would you do on Mars for fun? Nothing, you're stuck inside, like all the time. I would do some anti-gravity flips because I've never been able to do it back. What is something you notice immediately in others? Their eyebrows. <laughs> I, I don't know. If you were famous, what would you be famous for? Bad tweet. <laughs> I, I think I would What's like, the, like, wait, let me answer the question. What's the bra that's out of your control? Oh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> you need your so bad at this. Okay, what's the next question? What's the flaw that's out of your control? I can't think at night. <laughs> <laughs> at what age did you learn the most about yourself? I always learn about myself every day. Same. Yeah, that's a good What TV sitcom family would you be a part of? Freshman's of Bel Air. Oh, I like that. I like I'd that. be like the I'd be like the Indian kid in the family. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. <laughs> Say the Breaking Bad family. Breaking Bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, Something we did not do this right. Is that we, time coming? Yeah, it's time. <laughs> um, that was 12 questions. Y'all ran out of time a long time ago, though. Thank you guys so much for listening. We hope you gained something out of that. And now we, as always, are going to jump into our listener segment, which we had so much fun with this week because so many of you sent in your stories and it's crazy and not surprising but crazy how rampant colorism is in our community and we all knew this but reading all of your stories I think just sort of reaffirmed it yeah I thought every single response that came in was so relatable and if I hadn't personally experienced it I knew either a friend or someone close to me had experienced it and it's just insane to think about how subconsciously we all have this bias and no one talks about it or really recognizes it as an issue and I know our generation now is starting to but I think we can start reading some of the stories the first one was someone said people joked that I was adopted because I was darker than the rest of my family crazy one girl said I was told I was a less prettier version of one of my light-skinned friends. Someone else said, which I really related to because I experienced this in high school too, during marching band practice in summer, I got dark and my dad said I didn't look like his kid anymore. This one's interesting. A white man tried to tell me that brown people wanting to whiten is like white people wanting to tan. Um, And then someone said, ever since I was a child, they called me Galu. 
which if you don't know what that term means, it's basically a direct translation in Hindi slash Urdu for the color black. Yeah. Um, and we got a lot of responses from you all. I mean, I think this was the most common one, Haldi mask. Yeah. And traditionally, that's something that's just done at weddings, I guess, because Haldi brings good fortune. Haldi means turmeric, by the way. Yeah. You make it into a paste and then you apply it on your body. And supposedly, it's supposed to make you fair skinned. And then something that I had personally never thought about, but someone brought this up and I thought it was very important to share. He said, I have albinism. So I look white to everyone. Sometimes this is a good thing. Sometimes it isn't. I had to be on a work trip during Kushali a few years back and went to Kane in the city. I was visiting with a friend who lived in said city. Multiple people stopped my friend and subtly asked him if I was a smiley. I've heard stories about others being stopped because of their skin tone and asked to do things like recite some part of the dua. That's cr- I can't believe people test people who are lighter saying recite a part of the dua to prove you're smiley. What even? And then I want to share one more and just that kind of made me laugh. This person said, during the summers, my friends and I used to go to the pool together. But one of my friends, her mom wouldn't allow her to go any two weeks before a Kushali or a Dandia celebration because otherwise her face would look too dark in pictures. It's just like that one really makes me laugh because I feel like it's so like I can understand. Yeah. Thank you so much to everyone who shared their story and allowed us to really make them public and make them known. Because once we do start sharing these experiences and talking about it openly, I think is where change can really happen. And though it'll be incremental, it's just good to be aware of the things that we deal with on a daily basis and then taking steps to change your mindset. Um, So, yeah, thank you for sharing Thank you for engaging with us as always. And and we look forward to seeing you guys back here next week. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%.